Good morning. My name is Mormilo. I'm Ross Anarelli. And welcome to the 52 Podcast. 52 weeks, 52 books, making every single week count. Thank you guys so much for joining us on our fourth episode. Number four. Number four. Number four is all about Jocko Willink and Leif Babin and their book, Extreme Ownership. Both of them are very high-ranking SEALs, Navy SEALs, if you guys didn't know what that is. And they are bringing us massive value when it comes to leadership and learning how to be the most effective leader in your world. So guys, I'm going to read the purpose of this book directly from the book right off my notes here. The purpose of this book is to enlighten and empower leaders to lead teams to success. Okay, so this is what it's all about. It's all about leadership. It's all about, uh, you know, taking ownership over your life and over the things that are going on in your world so that you can empower others and enlighten others when it comes to leading them in the direction of the mission that you are looking to create. Ross, overall, did you get a big piece of value in regards to leadership through this book? I liked it. It's really interesting to look at how these Navy SEALs, how what their outlook on life is, because they're really working in the most extreme conditions you can possibly think of when it comes to not only life, but it's also a career. 100%. So it's really interesting, like I said, just kind of get in their mind and see how they observe things and the way that they kind of break down things step by step. And you know, what I really loved about what they did with this book is they really found an opportunity to relate combat battle leadership and basically create an analogy for business leadership and how leadership in general is 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 how you can take the the lessons from combat the lessons from war the lessons from all of these atrocities and turn them into valuable business leadership practices that can help you move forward in your business so guys just uh we're gonna move really quickly because this book is dense i have literally five pages of notes here on all the stuff i'm not going to be able to get to everything uh and neither is ross it's just the way it's gonna go uh so we're gonna break down the book into three parts okay the three parts of this book part one winning the war within winning the war within develops mind Mindset and leadership building blocks to succeed. Part two, the laws of combat. The laws of combat dictate the four major principles for you to lead a team with success. And part three is sustaining victory, the nuances of leadership and how to continue to lead and adjust and win over time. So that's how these, uh, these, this book is basically cut apart, okay? Let's go into extreme ownership and what that means first things first because that is the name of the book. What does extreme ownership mean to you, Ross? Extreme ownership is kind of how it sounds. You have to be able to take ownership in the majority of situations, even situations that you feel you cannot possibly be at fault. You have to be able to look inward and understand, is there something I could have done better? Could I have changed the outcome? Could I have given us a better result? So when it comes to extreme ownership, that's really kind of what I took from it. Uh, what do you think? So the way I look at it is extreme ownership is all about being in complete responsibility for everything that's going on in your world, around your world, and whether it's your higher level management, whether it's your subordinates, whatever it may be, you get to take full ownership. Leaders take full ownership of everything that's in their lives, and that's why they're successful. So the biggest point here, guys, and this is just our introduction as we move into the book, is extreme ownership is about taking responsibility for everything that's going on in your world. And uh, Jocko and uh, Leif actually create some beautiful analogies and some beautiful stories. They, they bring a lot of different um, you know, personal experiences and anecdotes 
to this uh, to this book so that you can really understand in real life terms how these things work. So we're not going to go over those guys. I'm not going to, because Jocko can tell it much better. Jocko and Leif can tell it much better than we can. What we're going to go over is the key points and the information that's that, that's the juicy stuff. The yeah. juicy stuff that you want to know. The good leader. stuff. 100%. And beyond that, guys, that doesn't mean don't read the book. The anecdotes, the stories, they're incredible. I really enjoy this book because of those anecdotes. So let's just move right back into it, okay? First uh, chapter of the book is all about extreme ownership. So we're just going to continue to move forward with extreme ownership, okay? Um, so when it comes to mistakes and consequences, right? Let's say, for example, you create a situation where a negative experience comes about. Most people would say, okay, I'm going to blame this person and that person. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, it, it, they didn't do this, so I'm going to blame them for it. The idea of extreme ownership is that as a leader, you get to own everything in your world and take responsibility for not only yourself and your actions, but the actions of those around you. What are your thoughts, Ross? I agree. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know... Like I said, you're going to be put in situations where you don't feel like it's your fault. And you can do something as simple as as being late to a meeting. Mm -hmm. You can blame traffic. You can blame your car. You can blame your alarm. But at the end of the day, it all really comes down to you. And that's really what they go through in this book is to try to understand that while you may feel like a lot of other things that are outside of your control are at fault, the majority of the reason that you're in that situation is all in your control and it would fall on your shoulders. It's just being able to understand and be able to open yourself to that perspective. So, Ross, let me let me throw this at you and see if it's something that you agree throw. with, okay? Uh, so, from my understanding of the book, from the lessons that I've learned through reading Extreme Ownership, is that everything is correlated when it comes to the way that you lead, and it all stems from your ownership, right? So, for example, excuses are unacceptable. It's just that simple. They're unacceptable. They take the form of blaming others for your lack of leadership. So this is a completely contradictory idea to most people that are, you know, used to having that relationship mm-hmm. with a subordinate that says, okay, well, if you didn't get your job done, this is on you, right? So what benefits do you see extreme ownership in taking, you know, taking on extreme ownership for your subordinates' mistakes and problems. I think the biggest thing that you get out of taking full ownership is you're able to kind of improve for next time. So you're able to look at what happened, kind of analyze it, and understand what you can do to be better for next time. Because if you don't take ownership for it, you're going to say everything I did was perfect. Sure. There was nothing I did wrong, nothing I can improve upon. I hope next time that everyone does better. No one's going to get better. They're not going to get better. You're not going to get better. But if you understand that this kind of falls on you, and you know, even if a lot of the blame could feel like it's outside, you give yourself an opportunity to grow, expand, and learn if you're able to come to grips with the fact that this may actually be something that you controlled and you might have let yourself down. I agree with you. And I personally, the way that I feel about the whole situation, Ross, is that when you're in complete and total ownership, it gives you an opportunity to empower yourself and others around you. Because instead of playing the blame game and putting everything on everyone else or you know, giving excuses and reasons why you weren't able to succeed, if you are willing to look inwards and say, this was my fault, I'm taking responsibility. Why? Because I'm the leader. 
because I am taking on the responsibility of the success of this team. And that's actually a perfect segue for us when it comes to teams because this is this entire book is all about teams. It's all about being the most effective team leader and being part of a team. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in the SEALs, in the Navy SEALs, the, every um, platoon has teams within it, right? For the most part, they say that you don't want to lead a group of more than four to six people. And the reason being is because it just gets, there's too many moving parts. So when it comes to teams and how you work within a team, as a leader, attitude is everything. The way that you approach your team, the way that you look at things is going to determine whether your team is enrolled in the way that you are leading them. So that's extremely important, guys, in regards to the way that you approach people and how you interact with them, your attitude is everything. It's very easy to see if your attitude is off par, if you're if you're not uh, if you're you're not believing in the mission that you're truly going after. Leaders believe in the mission that they're going mm -hmm. after, and because of that belief, their subordinates believe with them, and they follow them in that regard. Um, so great stuff in regards to extreme ownership, guys. Another couple quick things. I just want to look through my notes and make sure that I get everything over to you guys. Um, Oh, this is a big one. So in regards to teams, uh, when you come from extreme ownership, when you are the leader, right, of a group of people and you come from extreme ownership, what that does for your junior leaders is they see the mindset that you're holding. They see what you're willing to tolerate, right? Because when it comes to leadership, it's not about uh, what you're willing to do. It's what, it's, it's what you're willing to tolerate. If you're willing to tolerate subpar performance, that's what you're going to get. That's the culture that you're going to create within your group. With extreme ownership, what that allows for you and for your team is you create a culture of ownership. By setting the example as a leader, you create a culture of ownership for your entire team. And with that, you create junior leaders that can step up at any time and jump in and take care of whatever you need them to take care of because they understand that you're coming from extreme ownership and that your team has a culture of ownership. So that junior leader is going to step up and above what he would normally mm -hmm. do because he is now in ownership of the team and its success. Yeah, you're setting a very strong example. A hundred percent. And that's the name of the game, guys. Uh, in addition to believing, right? So uh, team members need to understand why. We love to do briefings and, you know, and talk to our teammates about what is happening and what we are doing. But it's not as effective as getting the point across of why we're doing it. When you lead from why, when you are 100% transparent in regards to the impact that you're looking to create and why you're looking to do what you're looking to do, your junior leaders will follow you in ownership. So Ross, have you seen things like that through pedal, through different uh, different positions of leadership for yourself? Yeah, I think when it comes to believing, and it's kind of like how you said previously, how it pretty much all starts at the top. Mm -hmm. um, you have to get everybody on the same page because if you don't, if you have a few people that have completely bought in, and other people that are that are not sure, it only takes one bad apple to soil the entire mm -hmm. thing. So if you have everyone on the same page, not only you're going to have a better result. But you're going to have a more collaborative process as you're going through it because everybody's giving you 100%. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things, especially if you're talking, you know, business, and, you know, not talking Navy SEALs. You know, your employees always have the option to go other places, to do other things, work in other industries. But if they truly believe what they're working towards and working with you, 
they're trying to build the best possible product, then you're really going to see a huge growth because everybody is working together to try to create something common. Now, if you're saying that this is going to be the best route and they can feel that this is really not the best way, they might think there's a hidden agenda or whatever, they'll be able to read it and you'll be able to feel it. And if you don't have 100%, you have nothing, in my opinion. You really need everybody to be on it. And that's Everyone how you build trust. That's how you, you build trust. If you're, if you're the leader of your company, if, if you're a CEO out there and we're talking to you, you have to be able to, number one, build trust. If your team does not trust you, they will not work with you, they will not work for you, and you will not have them in the future. You need to set them up for the best chance to succeed, whether they stay with you or not. You need to be able to maximize their potential. And that's really what you're going to be able to do because, like Moore said, the people below the leader you're going to empower them to be able to maximize their potential so that they know, all right, I can lead as well. My guys have bought in. And that's very powerful as someone in that position. 100%. And I'll tell you this much. So, so this actually goes back to another thing as well. Because you brought up CEOs and because, you know, we're talking to leaders here, right? Nobody's infallible. Nobody is above failure. It's that simple, guys. Everyone is going to fail at some point. It's not about the failure it's about what you do after the failure how you recollect yourself and you put together a new plan of action that's going to support your subordinates in in being able to take on that ownership and it starts with you it starts with the leader it starts with literally any person that's in a structure if you take extreme ownership of your life and understand that no matter what you do you're going to do it to the best of your abilities and you're not going to make excuses even if you fail you will be respected and you will earn the respect of others to support you in moving forward with your life. So it's really important, guys. Really important to understand that you are not infallible. You will fail. And that's okay. If you fail with integrity, if you fail with respect, if you fail putting 150% into it, your subordinates, your higher-ups, your, your equals in any business, in any startup, whatever it may be, they will respect you because you were willing to take a risk. And... Leaders take risks. Good leaders take risks. Okay, guys? Uh, let's move on to the next thing. Next thing for us is we're talking about chapter four, which is check your ego. Ego's a tough one. Ego's a tough one because sometimes we don't know about our ego. And I know this personally because I have been in a situation where my ego has spoken on my behalf and I didn't even know it was there. So, guys, ego is the number one most destructive situation in, in any team circumstance. When your ego is more important than the team and the mission, that's when you fail. And there's nothing wrong with failing, but you get to fail with integrity. I think with ego as well is, you know, we just talked about belief. You know, I think ego is not the same as, you know, having a strong self-belief also. Mm -hmm. Ego to me comes in when it starts to blind you to things that are happening Absolutely. around you. Absolutely, 100%. And so like I said, if you have a very large ego and you're doing a lot of things for selfish reasons you're putting not only yourself but your team your company at a large disadvantage so i think when it comes to that you really have to try to be mindful of it very hard to kind of self monitor ego but you can normally check your results based on you know the people working with you and the people around you if just look at them read their faces when you're talking and you can kind of get a sense and that goes all the way back to when we talked about like I said they have to believe in it you know what I mean? If you're honest, you're transparent with them, and you're really coming from a place that's true, you're going to get that belief. No one wants to follow someone with a huge ego that this is my company. I don't need you guys. 
that's going to go no. 100%. That, you that's have not to a leadership trait that people are interested Agreed. in. And additionally, you know, when it comes to your ego and what that creates for you is it creates an, a, a, a space where you are no longer open to feedback and to growth. Yeah. So your ego gets in the way of your ability to be able to listen to people giving you feedback and understand their perception and experience of you so you can grow in a massive way. And because of that ego, that thought that you are better than everyone else, you're cocky instead of confident, right? We'll talk about cocky versus confident later on. That cockiness gets in the way of your ability to grow. So check the ego at the door, guys, because you don't need it. It's not going to support you. It's not going to support your team. It's not going to support your leadership. Check it at the door. And have people in your life that will keep you accountable to checking at the door. Okay, Because it's not easy and I totally get it. Uh, simplicity, guys. Let's talk about simplicity. Let's make it really, really easy. Let's right? make it simple. Let's make it simple. I like it. So simplicity is one massive factor that Jocko and Leif talk about in the book. Uh when it comes to simplicity, when it comes to planning, when it comes to strategizing, your team needs to be on board. If your plan is complex and exuberantly outrageous, it's going to be very difficult for your team to follow what you are trying to accomplish. It becomes cluttered. So simplicity is the key. When, it, when a plan is straightforward, it is easy to understand. It is easy to relay the information of that, simpli of that simple plan and to execute that plan. Complexity creates mistakes, okay? And the enemy will always get a vote. And this is a really cool little argument that uh, Jocko and Leif make in the, in the book because obviously we, we've never been at war. But, you know, these I've guys not. have. I've never been at war. Uh, these guys have, and they understand that the enemy will always get a vote. What does that mean for us, right? The enemy always gets a vote because no matter what, there's always that variable of the other side. It's expect the unexpected, essentially. Exactly. You want to go into that? Yeah, I want to talk, like I said, to continue on simplicity. Simplicity is something that you know I feel strongly on because I do struggle with simplicity sometimes. Uh, normally, I'm the one with our team that is kind of getting the game plan, a lot of the business plans together, and then it's my job to kind of, you know, disseminate that to the rest of the group. And a lot of times I'll sit down and I'll get a plan together. But normally I always start with everything. Mm -hmm. You need, you know, talking from marketing to sales strategy. You're getting the whole thing down. And it does. It becomes very complicated. So the hard part really is trying to simplify that even more. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I'll find out it can always be simpler. And that's really when I talk to my team. When we talk together... Um, with the rest of the guys in our group, you're able to see exactly what comes across. Because as anyone knows, you may get something perfectly well. Take a college professor. They know everything on their subject, whatever they're teaching. They've, maybe they've been there for 20 years. They know every answer, everything possible. But their real job is making it simple enough that their students can digest it, bring it in, and then be able to get that back on the test. So when it comes to simplicity, you really have to almost fight yourself. Because whenever you think it's as simple as possible... I honestly believe you can always get it one step simpler because there's always something. Make it for, I always joke, make it for your dumbest friend's dumbest friend. 100%. You've heard me say that before. The lowest common denominator is the way that it's described in the book. Yeah. So always, always keep in mind the lowest common denominator. If you have a group of people that you're briefing, you're having a conversation about a strategy or plan, and you have 
a top level executive and you have the guy that washes the floors on, on the weekend. When you are briefing your team, it should be simple enough for your for the janitorial staff walking in the room to have a conversation yeah. about the business. They should understand every single point in the presentation. They should be a hundred percent present. Yeah, because like Simplify. I said, you don't need you don't need a PowerPoint with forty slides. Get it as simple as possible. We find this a lot um, when you make business plans. Sure. This is business plans one hundred and one. You are gonna have if you have to make one, you're looking to get investment. You're gonna make a business plan. It's gonna be massive. It's gonna be forty pages or so. Our first one was fifty. Fifty pages, and we had you know granted fifteen of those were were projections. We made projections for the first three years, first year detailed month by month. Um, and we had a very strong advisory board off the beginning. We always advise to get an advisory board as quickly as you can, people in the industry, people you trust to look at your stuff. Um, and we gave it to one of our first advisors. And the first thing he said was, I'm not going to read all this. And you know what? I didn't blame him because if someone would have handed me that, I would have went, no, nope, you not give me the spark notes. What's the sum? And that's why you come to us for this. If you didn't read the book, you're coming here for the quick, the quick notes on it. So simplify. So simplify. Mm -hmm. And with that... The next thing really is to prioritize and execute. And this is something that I feel like I struggle with simplicity, but I do think I'm very good at prioritizing and getting people to execute. Let's talk about it. Because once you have that whole list, it is very important to understand what needs to come first, second, third, and fourth. And that's because a lot of time, the first one sets up the second and the third and the fourth. So you really have to be able to break it down and try to understand what's going to have the biggest impact first. You know, there's no problem in building out a plan for your longer term goals at the same time you're building your short term goals, but understand what you need immediately. You know, whether that's, you know, getting your ads out for, for clients right now, or you're trying to get a game plan for the next three months when it comes to maybe your social strategy. You need to be able to understand what is going to be most important. And with that, you normally have to take a step back. A lot of times what we do, we have multiple whiteboards, big whiteboards, small whiteboards, and we'll start on the big one and then we'll break it down to the small one the truth. because we really need to get to the nitty gritty of it. So I think when it comes to prioritizing, I think you know what you need to do first, but it's being able to simplify that plan to a point that's easy, easily uh, digestible and then being able to split it up. And with that, it also means being able to pass out tasks to the right people and give them real goals sure. saying, hey marketing we need you to get this done by friday so and so on sales i need you to get these calls out by wednesday so you really got to be able to delegate it as well when you're talking about prioritizing and executing because if you don't have a solid plan then you have nothing agreed and one thing i will add also to that ross is that things change it's a dynamic world you are your priorities are going to change your analysis is going to change your planning is going to change that gets to be communicated if you want to work within a team and you want everyone to be on the same page, communication is key. Without that communication of what our priorities are, where we are moving, what we are doing, and who needs to do what, it's very, very difficult to be able to keep everyone on track. Agreed. So communicate and delegate. And with delegation comes decentralized command. So this is the next chapter that we're going into. Chapter 8 is all about decentralized command. And this is massive, guys. Like This is one of my biggest things that I took away from this entire book was about decentralized command. So let's just talk about what that is to begin with, right? Decentralized command basically means that every person at every level has an opportunity to create and make decisions for the overall goal. 
Now, a good leader is going to understand what that means. A good leader is going to set themselves up to win when it comes to decentralized command. What that means is that you have to make sure that your subordinates are up to par, that they know how to lead, that they understand what their responsibilities are, that they are in tune with their specialties, with their skills, so that you can support them in making decisions in action, on the field, while working, while in a meeting, whatever it may be. As a leader that is focused on decentralized command, you empower others around you, whether above you or below you, to make decisions based on their best judgment for the overarching goal. Now, the only way to create an opportunity where you have a decentralized command with subordinates that understand what the overall goal is, is to really get granular on what your missions are and why you're doing things. That's, that's the real goal here, guys. As a leader, you get to communicate at a very effective level. And communicate, communicating at that effective level will give you the opportunity to let your subordinates create and make decisions on the fly that will support the overall, overbearing, overarching goal that you're looking to achieve. So with your experience running as, as the CEO of Pedal, Right? What was what did decentralized command mean to you? Was there were there things that you could have improved? Were there things that you uh, you did really well? What what's your what's your opinion on that? So there, there's a lot to break down with it, and the first thing I would say is it comes down to hiring or onboarding. Um, you need to find people that you don't have to double check their work, mm. and it's as simple as that. So like an example, if Moore had a task, let's say like right now. If you check out on keylightla.com, Moore writes a blog every Wednesday. Check it out. I don't have to proofread. He'll send it to me to check it out. But I don't have to go through it and be like, this is bad, this is bad, this is good. No. I know what he's going to make. He's going to make it, take the time to proofread it, double check it. It takes him a good amount of time to make it. And he's not going to pass it to the next person unless it's completely done right. And that's something that you really can't teach. You find people that are self-motivated like that. So if you have people that you can give a task and they can complete it and you know that when it's going to hit your desk, it's the best quality that you can see, that's how you know you have the right person. Now, on the flip side, one thing that is hard is keeping some of those people in check. Mm. Now, we've always had open communication in our company of pushing each other. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Don't sugarcoat it back. Push me if you feel like I'm slacking off and vice versa. That's what we expect from each other. So if you can set that culture early, I think you're going to be in a much stronger uh, place to succeed. So you kind of have the flip side, but really it's coming down to being with the right people. Because as a Navy SEAL, they don't actually have that luxury. Everyone is there for the same goal. That's why they chose to join the Navy and more importantly, choose the SEALs. But as a business owner, you have the freedom and the flexibility to choose whoever you want. It is your decision. Now, what I will say is the moment you realize this person is not working, you should cut ties. And they always say, hire slow, fire fast. Because when you hire, you're making your best guess on if they're going to be good, bad, if they get along with the company structure and the company culture. But when you fire, you know. You know it's not a good fit. So when it comes to decentralized command, it really is getting the right people. And then once you have that, it's trust. You have to be able to not only trust them to do the right job, but trust yourself enough to be able to give them 
the full capacity to maximize their potential. You don't want to handcuff them by micromanaging. You might have an idea, but there's more ways to get to one spot. Two plus two is four. Three plus one is also four. One way is not better than the other, sure. but you need to let people play with their background and the things that they've learned in their life to give you a different result. And a lot of times it will be better because it's different than what you assumed, but it gives you a different perspective. And I think that's the beauty of it. So you just got to really, like I said, hire the right people, trust them to do the right work, and trust yourself to be able to give them that freedom and don't micromanage them. And on that trust note, I'm really glad that you actually brought that up. On that trust note, the only way to build trust is to go through conflict, to work things out, to be in emergency situations with another person and see the way that they react. There's no way around it. You just got to get in the field and go do it. And a really easy way to make sure that your subordinates understand what their place is, what their role is, how they can excel, is to make it very clear what the chain of command looks like. Lay it down, under the, get them to understand this, you are the subordinate of so-and-so, that is the subordinate of so-and-so. Make sure that it is very clear who answers to who mm -hmm. and where they are in their ranks. And when it comes to building trust, go out and be in the field. Go experience things with these people so you can understand the way that they are going to react in high-stress situations. That is the only way to build trust between a team is to go out and work together. And there's going to be growing pains through that process, but that's Absolutely. what makes you stronger. None Absolutely. of this none of this is easy, but if you can work through it, you will get a better result. So let's go into part 3, guys. Part 3 is called sustaining victory. What that means is we are going to continue to be sustaining success over and over and over and over again. So let's talk about mission planning. Leave no stone unturned. Check out every variable. Do your homework. This is the not so uh, glamorous part of being a business owner or being a uh, an entrepreneur or being in the military or whatever it may be. Before you go on an adventure of any kind, on an experience of any kind, whether it's business, you know, conflict of war or whatever it may be, be very clear, plan and understand your variables to the best of your ability. There's never going to be an opportunity for you to plan for everything, but plan as much as possible. And additionally, when making decisions, go with your best judgment. Sitting and waiting for the perfect decision to come along is just no action. That's all that is. It's just you sitting in, in, in an inactionable stage. Make the best decision that you have available to you and shift and pivot and move based on whatever is available to you. And this goes back to our previous uh, podcast where we were talking about steering, steering the car mm -hmm. versus launching, uh, launching the rocket ship constantly be steering the car and moving in directions that are going to support mm -hmm. your team and the mission. And remember that the mission is always above everyone else. No individual is more important than the overall goal of the business or of the, the, of the entity or whatever it may be. The goal is the most important. Whatever you got to do to get and achieve that goal needs to happen. Plain and simple, guys. Uh, let me just kind of take a look back at the notes here. Let's see what else I have here. Oh, guys, this is a big one. This is massive. Lean on the people that have the expertise. Let your assets determine where they're working. If you have a marketing guy that's phenomenal, let him market. Let him go and do his thing. 
Why? Because he's better at it than you. And your ego is the only thing that's getting in the way. If you got a great salesperson, send them out to sell. You got a CEO that's phenomenal in finance, you send them to do all the paperwork and make sure that the finance shit is taken care of. It's that simple, guys. Lean on the assets that have the skills to pay the bills. You know what I mean? Let them pay the bills. Simple as that. Simple as that. And that's and that's really like I said, what it comes down to is you're gonna have people that have specialized skills. Now, especially if you're a young startup, you will be wearing multiple hats. Absolutely. You will be doing a little bit of sales, a little mm-hmm. bit of marketing, you'll be doing everything. But when you build a team, look for complementary skills. If you're weak in marketing, find someone who's strong in marketing. If you're strong in sales, you don't need another salesperson. Try to hire to be able to get what you needed. So for us, in, in a tech startup, we needed a programmer, we needed sales, we needed marketing. Those were the three main ones. So we worked to make sure we had all that. And Absolutely. then from there, once the core was built, we could look to add on more people. So understand what your specific business calls for. Find people that are good at it and try to give them tasks or, or give them the ability to stay in their lane, essentially. Stay where they're most comfortable and what they're best at. Your marketing guy can probably do a lot of other stuff, and that's great. He's going to have to do it. Let's be real. But if you can really keep him in marketing, he's going to be able to get the task done twice as fast as you, and it's probably going to be twice as good as yours. Absolutely. So try to maximize this person's skills. And guys, this comes back to mission planning, right? Really understanding where and how you're planning, getting the right personnel in place. And the beauty of mission planning is the more that you plan, the better that you plan, the more you're going to mitigate that risk. Now, with that being said, right, let's talk about risk real quick because risk is a tough one for all the business owners out there because you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. There is no way to succeed without risk. There's a great quote in the book, and I'm going to read it word for word because I don't want to screw it up. John Paul Jones says, those who will not risk cannot win. And it's so massive. It's so true. Like You cannot... If you aren't willing to go hang by you know by the skinny branches and be willing to fall off that tree, you're not going to be able to get that delicious fruit at the top of the tree. It's just the way it goes. You have to be able to be willing to risk, mitigate the risk as much as possible by planning, by having a team in place, by having everything lined up the way that you want so that you can make sure that you are effectively executing. But there is no way to fully mitigate that risk. You have to take on risk to win. And if you've done all the steps prior to this, like I said, believing not only in yourself, but getting that belief across to others, making sure your plan is simple, making sure you prioritize and you're able to execute. If you do all those things, that was the foundation. Now you're in the game when you're talking about sustaining this. So you need to be able to take care of all that stuff before. And foundation is something that we're big on. More knows I'm actually someone who likes to overplan a little bit. You do. You and more likes to more likes to shoot. I like to execute. But like that's how we complement each other. So it goes. We like to be ready. So when we go somewhere, we're a little over prepared, but we're also getting in there at the right time because, like Moore said earlier, there is no right time. So I might be planning, 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 and Moore's like, I'll say, hey, I'm gonna plan. We'll give him a call tomorrow. I look over. Moore's already. It's already ringing. Or it's like, hey, hold on one second. Yeah, I'm already on the phone. And then I'll pass on the paper and we'll go through it. Boom, done. You didn't need any more planning. You didn't need to wait any longer. Execute it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So guys, with that being said, let's move into the next thing, which is all about leading up and down the chain. This is an interesting concept. I've never heard of this one until until I really read this book. And it's really, really powerful stuff. Uh, obviously, we all know what leading down the chain looks like, right? 
it looks like taking care of your subordinates, making sure that they're, you know, that your communication is on point, making sure that they are handling whatever they need to handle, but also giving them the freedom to be the tactical um, practitioners of whatever you are giving them the opportunity to practition, right? So you, when you give someone the leeway to do a job, let them do it, but also have that communication. The weird, I wouldn't say weird, I would say the concept that is new to me personally is leading up the chain of command. So for example, right, let's say you are a, uh, a sales manager at a car dealership, right? Leading up the chain means that you are also leading your general manager, your, the owner of the business, the CFO, the CEO. And the way to do that is funny enough, also through communication. The people that are above you, what they really need from you is they need clear information. They need to understand what your problems are, where you, where, where your thing, where, where everything sits when it comes to your particular part of the business, so they can understand how to support you. So if you don't communicate that properly up the chain of command, you will not be supported properly because they don't have the information that they need to support you in the right ways. At the end of the day, these guys just want you to win. They are your bosses, they, they are your, your higher ups, they are your C-level management staff. They want you to execute at a higher level because not only does it affect them, but it affects the business and the overall mission mm -hmm. of the company. And I think to do this successfully, it, it really relies on both parties. Sure. As the owner of the company, you need to be able to have, you know, they talk about like an open door policy. Sure. Kind of thing. You need to make your, your employees feel comfortable enough to, to come to you with an opinion or a suggestion. And I think as the employee, you need to be able to feel confident enough in your workplace and in your skills that you value your opinion enough to be able to take it um, to your employer without feeling like he's going to laugh me out the room or say, get out of here. Um, one thing, if you are the owner of your company, I would say the easiest way to, to start this simple is to ask. Mm -hmm. Whenever we have um, like we had employees that would make calls to different places, don't just ask them how many sales did you get or things like that. Ask them what were they hearing back? What was the feedback? What was the, you know, the tone of the person on the other what line? What you need is a person to be successful in this business. Yeah, and I mean, so really they are going to try to give you the tools. So really, like you said, it's all communication. Both parties are at fault if this doesn't work, mm -hmm. and both parties should get all the glory if this does work. Sure. Because any relationship, whether personal or business, relies on communication and you need to just be able to set those boundaries early and let you know your employees know if you have an idea or a suggestion anytime like i the what this made me think of simply was um the guy who made flaming hot cheetos mm, yeah the the, 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 janitor, the janitor that had who an mixed idea it yeah, and brought sure. it all the way up and now he's one of the heads of the company yeah he had a great idea he brought it up the chain and not only did they just say they didn't just take it and say thank you goodbye stay as a janitor, they rewarded him. They were able to say, hey, we love what you came up with. We love where your head's at. We see you in a bigger position, in a bigger role. And I think as the employee, you need to be able to think of that story and say, hey, if I go the extra mile, if I, if, when I clock out at five o'clock, whatever it may be, if I keep my mind running, I keep working, there's a better result for me on the other side. And as an employer, you need to be able to try to find a way to motivate you know, your employees to be able to get onto that level to think and communicate it back to you. A hundred percent, guys. And I, I want to just throw in a few little little tips and tidbits in regards to what, what was said in the book. Um, when it comes to 
leading up the chain of command, the most effective tool of communication to get your higher-ups to support you is going to be pushing situational awareness. What that means is getting your higher-ups, the people that are going to make the decisions that you need them to make, get them to understand where you are and meet you where you're at so they can see the struggles, the, the pain, the situation that you're in, and they can support you in the best way possible. Now, on the contrary, as a leader who understands priority and execution, right? We just talked about prioritize and execute, right? You also get to understand that if your higher up is not supporting you, you get to be, you, you get to come from humility. You get to understand that their lens is probably much wider than what you are actually mm -hmm. privy to. And if they are not supporting you with the resources that you need, it's likely because there is a higher priority that needs to be handled first. So humility is very important. Will you always get what you want? No. Should you always ask and advise and create awareness for where you are in your situation? 100, 100%, okay? And if, for example, you go to your superior and you ask them for something, you ask them for a piece of support, and they decide that that's not going to work, and that they need to change the plan, and they're going to make something work mm -hmm. that's going to be that's going to be worthwhile uh, at their level of knowledge. You get to understand that you get to take on that project like it's yours. Don't sit and complain. Don't waste time, and and, and be upset that you didn't get the support that you wanted. A leader understands when to follow. A great leader understands when to follow. If you are in a situation where your upper management is telling you, hey, this is the way that we're going to do things, even though it's not the way that you want to do them, don't sit and complain and make it more difficult for your upper management to execute. Own that plan. Own it as if it was yours. And execute as if it was your idea. Because you are a team member. Because leadership is about team. It's not about me. It's not. I'm not better than the, than the mission. The mission comes first. And if your upper management tells you that this is the way the mission is going to look, then you better believe that you're going to execute the mission the way that it's going to look. So this is another ego conversation that we like to have with ourselves. Of I was right. They were wrong. This is BS. I don't want to do this because they were wrong, etc., etc. You're a leader. Bite the bullet and do what you need to do to support your team because that is the most important. It's your team is more important than the individual. So guys, we're coming to the last couple chapters here. So stick with us. Uh, chapter 11 is all about decisiveness amongst uncertainty. And we're gonna make this really quickly, uh, really quick. I have two notes for you guys that are really important and we're gonna move on. Um, don't let your planning get in the way of making swift decisions, okay? When you are in a situation that you're under high pressure and you see an opportunity and it doesn't match the plan, be swift to move in the opportunity that makes the most sense for the moment. Don't be attached to whatever you thought the plan was gonna look like because things are constantly changing, things are constantly evolving. There's, it is a dynamic world out there. And if you are not willing to shift, if you are not willing to switch, if you are not willing to, uh, to move in a direction that's more positive because you're attached to your plan, you will not be effective. Uh, the second one that I'd like to also do here is 
leaders have to be satisfied with the decisions that they make in the moment. When you make a decision in uncertainty, you got to go with your gut. It's part of it. You got to make a quick decision. You got to make something work. You make that decision and you move forward with it 100%. And be willing to shift with urgency if that's needed. But sitting in, in an inactive stage and not wanting to make a decision doesn't support you in moving forward and executing. So that's uh, that's really what we have to say. And about. that's and that's like said, that's a big one, it really is. You know, you have to be able to, like I said, if you plan and it, it, something else came up, the whole thing of planning is to move forward. If you see an opening to move forward quicker, get you the same result, take it. Don't be romantic with your your plan. Sure. Get towards the goal. Um, so I think it's a big thing, and then as well as making a decision and being confident in it. This to me is probably the most important aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you if you're the owner of your company. Um, your partners are going to look at you when you make a decision to understand that you believe in it wholeheartedly. And I would say go with your gut. It sounds cliche, but I firmly believe that your gut is really the culmination of of everything that you notice and you haven't noticed in your life. And it's your kind of body telling you, eh, steer this way. Even when your cognitive mind is looking at you and saying, hey, you should do this. Your body, your gut, your, your mind in the back is saying, don't. And if you have that gut feeling, the moment you feel it, make the call. If you believe in it, do it. If you've realized that we had this um, before, if you have people that are on your team and they're just not performing up to par, we had a moment where we thought we should let them keep going. Let's see what they can do. Maybe they'll prove us wrong. Uh, I woke up one day and realized, you know what? This isn't going to work. If it's not working now, it's not going to work later. Let's cut it early. Uh, I relayed that message to the rest of the team. I told them why. Um, they listened, they were open to it, and uh, they trusted me and we made that call. So if you're going to make that, if you're the person who's in charge and you're the person who has to have that responsibility, be honest with yourself and then honest with your team. And then, like it says, move quickly. So that's chapter 11, guys. Chapter 12, last chapter for the entire book, and then we'll kind of go into an outro. But this is a really powerful chapter. This is all about discipline and the dichotomy of leadership. So I don't know if you guys know this yet, but Jocko and uh, uh, Leif, I believe, Leif is how we pronounce his name. Uh, Yeah, Leif Babin. They have written a second book called The Dichotomy of Leadership, and this is kind of a lead into that. And it's actually really powerful stuff. Um, So let's go over those a little bit here. Discipline creates efficiency, which creates time, which creates freedom. So it's a weird contradictory concept that discipline, being regimented, being structured, being uh, very committed to what you're doing, actually creates freedom for you. And the reason why is because you're that much more efficient, because you are that much more structured. As an operator, as a business, as a team, if you are extremely disciplined, then you can be counted on which means that you have freedom to work within the range that you know. As a leader, as leaders, if we have a team that is disciplined and regimented and has continued to show up every single week in and out and always has a certain level of structure, as leaders, we'll give them more leeway. We will give you the freedom, right? We will give you the freedom to go out and create because we see your structure. We see your discipline. It's the same thing in any business, in any place. If you can create enough discipline, and again, guys, discipline is the difference between a great leader and an extraordinary leader. If you are disciplined as a leader and you are structured and you are you are count, count onable, which is not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. We'll take it. Count onable, okay? Then you have more freedom to operate. 
it's weird, it's contradictory, it's different, but it's how it works. When you are calculated and structured and disciplined, you will receive more freedom to work and to do and to create and to impact. So discipline is key, guys. Um, discipline also allows for creativity. So Jocko brings up a really cool example in the book, which I'm going to literally give you guys just this example for the book because I want you to read it. He discusses a team, one of the SEAL teams, and how disciplined they were and their ability to shift on a dime because of their structure. Their structure gave them the ability to make adjustments on the fly because of the fact that they were so disciplined at their procedures. The way that they did things were so count honorable. <laughs> it's back. It's back. <laughs> count honorable that, uh, that they had the ability to be creative in the moment because they knew that their teams were so disciplined and understood the structure so well that if they threw a caveat into it, they would be able to come back and bring that structure back even though that there was, there was a, a, a difference mm -hmm. in, from the plan or a deviation from the plan uh, originally. So really cool stuff, guys. Discipline actually creates creativity and freedom. Really cool stuff. The dichotomy of leadership. Let's get into this here, guys. So I'm going to read this word for word because it's just so well put. Um, a leader must be calm but not robotic. Emotion is necessary. Those around you need to know that you care about them. Confident, not cocky. Confident is contagious. Cocky is destructive. Leaders are competitive. And they also are gracious losers. Attentive to detail, but not obsessed. A leader must grow close to their subordinates, but not too close. And a good leader has nothing to prove, but everything to prove. Okay? So I know this all sounds really crazy and contradictory, but let's go over every single one by itself. Okay? If we look at first things first, a leader must be calm, but not robotic. Okay? A robotic leader is not personable is not emotional is not going to understand the emotional aspect of a human being at the end of the day we're all human beings so being calm cool and collected is very important but being robotic is not being robotic is actually anti you want to still have a human aspect to you okay confident not cocky big difference there confidence is contagious when you see confident people when you are around people that are truly they truly believe in themselves they have self-love they have uh, an understanding of what they're doing. It's contagious. You want to feel that way too. Cockiness, on the other hand, creates a negative effect. It creates uh, an antagonistic relationship between you and the leader because it, it feels like it's disingenuous. It feels like they are more important than the team. And as we have talked about for the entire last hour, the team and the mission are the most important thing. Okay. Leaders are competitive, but also gracious losers. What that means is that they are willing to go out and do whatever it takes to win. But if they don't, they take it on the chin. They take the failure, they take the lesson, they move forward. That's what it means to be a gracious loser. Attention to the details, but not obsessed. You have tacticians out there. When you are a high-level leader, you have subordinates below you that know what they're doing. It's good to be interested in the details. It's, it's good to be interested in the day-to-day -day work. It's not good to be overbearing and micromanaging. Because if you hired them to do the job and to be that tactician, then you need to give them the space to do so. 
Otherwise, you have no trust, you have no respect, and you just seem like a micromanager. And that doesn't work for anybody. Okay? A leader must grow close to their subordinates, but not too close. As a leader, you have an obligation to your team to know them inside and out, their family, their desires, what they want in life. However, no one person is more important than the mission. If you get to a point where you're so close to one or two subordinates that they're more important than the mission, that's a problem because now you have a conflict of interest and that doesn't work. You get to care, but you also get to remember that the overbearing overarching goal is more important than any individual, including you, including your subordinates. The mission is the most important thing. A good leader has nothing to prove and everything to prove. This is a weird one. As a leader, if you're put into a leadership position, de facto, you are the leader. You have the command. But just because you're given a rank doesn't mean that people are going to trust, respect, or follow you. That is earned. So that's why you have everything to prove as a leader. You have everything to prove by setting the example, but you have nothing to prove because you've been put in that position. And in the book as well, one of the, the sayings that I thought was very powerful was there's no bad teams, only bad leaders. Absolutely. That was something that's very powerful to me. So I think that kind of plays perfectly off that point. You know, they, they've gotten there, they've proved what they needed to get to that role. But for them, like I said, they're competitive, they want to keep improving. The only way that they can see themselves growing and improving is if you improve as an individual and as a collective team. So I think that's going to be incredibly important to think about as you go forward. 100% guys. So there's no no bad teams, there's only bad leaders. And the last point from chapter 12 is that your greatest quality could also be your greatest weakness. So always keep it keep yourself in check. And that's what the dichotomy is about, right? Dichotomy is about both sides. Balance Finding a balanced, beautiful position. So for example, there's a, I'm going to use one more example from the book because it's a, such a great example. There is a corporate manager or a CEO, excuse me, that runs a construction and electrical and you know that type of company. They're doing lots of different types of services. Their electrical uh, division of their team was not performing. The CEO is very loyal. One of his good friends, one of the people that had, had taken care of him for the last 30 years was the head of that division, but the division was failing. So he was actually putting the needs of his friend in the electrical division over the needs of the business, mm -hmm. over the needs of the overarching mission. So your loyalty is phenomenal. His loyalty to his friend that took care of him says something about his character. However, that in incredible quality was also the reason why his business was losing and hemorrhaging money because of his loyalty to that person. And we always get to remember that the mission is the most important thing. No one individual is better than the mission or more important than the mission. That is how teamwork and leadership is created. By understanding the overarching mission that you are looking to accomplish and finding a way to get even the lowest level asset involved in creating positive effects in that. Uh, in that mission, in that goal. Okay? Uh, so guys, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I hope that this brought plenty of value to you guys. Uh, let us know what else you guys want to, want to hear from us. Next week, we'll be re reading a classic, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. <coughs> Extremely excited for that. Excuse me. Extremely excited to read that book. 
uh, because it is a classic. It's been around for ages and it is just a next level read. So please join us for that. Uh, with that being said, follow, 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 subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Let us know what you'd like. Comment, comment below, shoot us likes, shoot us messages, DM us on Instagram. Ross, uh, Ross with three S's underscore Michael, more underscore Milo. We are obviously the 52 podcast. Check us out. Um, we would love to hear some feedback from you guys. And thank you guys so much for joining us again. We'll see you next week on Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. My name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Sinarelli. And this is the 52 Podcast. Have a great week. See you next week.